Greetings and welcome to the Pure Report. I'm your host, Rob Ludeman. It is time to bring the orange yet again. And we are doing it with everybody's favorite episodic format, if I can use those words. Yes, this is Unplugged. Gentlemen, I think we're on volume seven, episode seven. The great J.D. Wallace and the equally great hey. and your master ceremonies, Andrew Miller. J.D., what is happening <laughs> in your world right now? Oh man, so much travel. We've been having a lot of fun. We'll talk about that and what's new, but I think we're going to rebrand. So uh, now we're going to have the Pure Report Roadshow. How about that? No, yeah, I'm, I'm kidding, but that'll all make sense in a minute. <laughs> all roadshows all the time. Mr. Miller, Master of Ceremonies, why don't you take Everything's a roadshow. Yeah, I mean, I'm just admiring your, uh, I'm admiring your tan from Hawaii, Rob, because I, I don't hey. tan. I, I burn in like 15 minutes flat because I'm just like the pasty white guy. If you, if you ever meet me in person, you'll, you'll get it. So uh, lots of freckles, but you know, no tanning going on, but to the agenda actually. So we've got a, a common, you know, four part agenda. We're going to start out with what's new. Number one, which is a, a short grab bag of things we find interesting, which in a way that's kind of what this whole podcast series is, but you know, that's the short part of it. Part two, we're going to continue exploring the 15 decisions, decision number five around statelessness. Uh, get ready to feed your technical soul a little bit. We'll talk about some neat stuff there. Third, pulling it up level a little bit. Pure, there's some new messaging you may have seen around uncomplicate data storage forever. We're going to dig into that from, from all of our perspective, but from kind of a field and on the ground perspective. And then last but not least, the ever useful, hopefully tip of the week, something that you might not have known that you can use in your environment, maybe even go play with right while you're listening to the Pure Report. Beginning out, number one, what's new? Rob, tell us about your tan. Tell us about Accelerate, all the other stuff you've had going on. Uh, the tan was great. I almost got to Accelerate. It's that fun thing where you wake up on the Sunday after your wife after your wife went to a concert four days prior and got the virus to find out that I had gotten that as well. So despite all the hard work and building out all the content and the tracks and everything, I didn't get to go to Los Angeles, but I know both you did and, and, and lots of other Puritans did, and they had a whole lot of fun down there. And we pulled off the virtual event as well. So true hybrid. And gosh, that took me right into 12 days in Maui. I highly recommend that to anyone and everyone. I still do have the tan, but you know, you all know it takes about six or seven days before you finally shut off the brain and stop worrying about emails and stop worrying about what's going on at work. So that was very needed. I had checked my vacation. I think I'd only taken three days the, the first six months of the year. And that is not, not very healthy. And, uh, as, you know, as, as JD said, it's all kind of roadshow. So, you know, moved on to some of the roadshow stuff there. Well, hey, we're so sorry we missed you at the yeah. LA Accelerate, but you know what? I, I think show couldn't have happened without your contributions. That's always such a big part of what you do every year. And um, I hate that you had to miss it, but gosh, I guess uh, 15 days in Maui probably made up for it. Maybe just a little bit. And then some, and I just, I came in the office today, first time in a while, and somebody left one of the uh, cool Accelerate t-shirts for me Aww. on my desk. So I'll always have that to remember that the time I almost made it to Accelerate Tech. <laughs> too but jd it was good to see you in seattle a few days ago that was awesome absolutely just continuing more accelerate we're doing a lot of fun things we're, we're stretching out the uh the fun and uh it was great to see you gosh I, I went on a little tour right so i started in portland i think that was actually the first one of these roadshow events that we did followed that up in boise 
tremendous fun in Boise. I can't tell you the, uh, the local team there has really built a fantastic relationship with their customers. It was, that one was incredibly personal, lots of interaction. We're kind of walking amongst the crowd and then Seattle, what a fun event out there with uh, those virtual swing booths and golf and uh, even getting to see friends. It was, it was awesome to see you. See you, Rob. It was super cool. And Mr. Miller, you, you've been involved in the Accelerate post roadshow events, which is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to connect mm-hmm. with people in a small, smaller forum mm-hmm. and make it a little bit more personal. So a bit of a look behind the scenes for those listening. Uh, and when you attend these, there's a lot of stuff that goes on, like huge kudos to the folks in field marketing that actually are figuring out the venues and, and food and beverage and all that stuff. There's putting together, and we were all involved in this kind of a master deck because there's actually more that you can cover in any given Accelerate Roadshow than there may be time for. And then even doing, you do like this train the trainer stuff where you're helping people that will present, hey, you should adapt this and make it your own, but here's some general ways you may want to talk about it and go listen to the keynotes. So there's actually all this kind of mechanics that goes into making these happen. And it's all kind of logical once you start to think through it. It it all needs to happen, but it's work that is done. Uh, We actually had one in Austin last week as well. I couldn't make that, but I'll be in Tulsa and Oklahoma City for two events. Uh, Well, if I say next week, I'm not quite sure we're publishing around, but, you know, around when people are listening to this. You you just returned from... Just returned from. Yes, that's what I meant in the ever-present now that we, we live in. I think there's Atlanta, Houston. We've got about like 30 of these going on or so. But it is always interesting how, having done some of these in the past, each one ends up being a little bit different. Because if people ask questions, you follow the question. And then you figure out how to scramble because there's something like, well, you really want to hear about these other things you didn't know about. And I want to make sure to put some reference into it. But if there's interest and people are asking questions, there's discussion, you follow that too. So they're always just a little bit different. That, that, that's what makes them fun. Think it on your feet. Other things, what's new is two that we wanted to make sure to highlight from Accelerate, where I'm pretty sure, Rob, you've covered these topics quite well on the Pure Report, but a little bit of, you know, extra perspective. Flashblade S, that was the big announcement, as well as Evergreen Flex. So so Flashblade S, a little bit of like, we got to mention it here. It's it's a big deal for Pure. (laughs) But that from our standpoint, a little bit from a principal technologist, talking with folks in the field, partners, customers, y'all is this makes Evergreen even more true, especially on the Flashblade platform. Sometimes I'll be going through the full story and history of Evergreen. There are some differences on the Flashblade side. Now, that statelessness that goes all the way through and, and non-disruptive upgrades, we've had that for a while but without having to migrate your data. That's a piece of the difference. So there's some nuance here. This isn't calling out problems with previous approach, right? It was solid and market leading, but we've continued to execute on the Evergreen vision as it relates to the Flashblade portfolio. So almost Evergreen, but more. And then also had some really cool partner feedback. Literally, while I was at Accelerate in the partner days before, partner day before, about multiple projects that would have been a fit uh, with the flexibility of Flashblade S. So I was getting some real partner enthusiasm around seeing the morph, the continuing growth of the Flashblade portfolio and the flexibility there that you have uh, between performance and capacity focus there. I know you were talking about, it, and I think even even met one of the beta testers, JD. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to your point, Andrew, we're not going to, we could spend a whole session talking about Flashblade S, but it's already been done. Rob had a great session recently that that came out. And so check that out for the deep dive. But uh, yeah, one of the things that I will highlight that I really like about having, having told this story a few times now through these Accelerate Roadshows is it's really neat to see how, even though we talk about 
Flashblade as a product in our portfolio, it, it really is building on technologies that are thematic across all of Pure. I mean, you know, Direct Flash is a really great example of that, how it originated in uh, in Flashblade and was adopted by Flash Array, uh, continued to be modified and enhanced. And, and now we see it kind of, kind of come full circle, come back to Flashblade. And so I, I just love those stories of how we're tying different parts of our ecosystem together to, to kind of get benefit across the, the board. But you're right, in, uh, in Portland, we actually were really fortunate to have a beta tester in the audience. And it was fun because, you know, they're so used to being under under NDA for a while while they've been giving us feedback on this that they, they weren't sure. They said, can I can I can I talk about it now? And uh, Amy Fowler was actually right behind him and said, yes, please do. And so we got to hear directly from one of our earliest testers, uh, some of their incredible feedback about what they were able to do with Flashblade and um, how it really has changed um, how they're able to use this product in their environment just because it's giving them so much more uh, flexibility um, in, in how they approach things. So really, really fun. That was special to, to have them there. For anyone not aware, Amy Fowler is the Vice President of Flashblade Strategy and Solutions or also known as someone who literally thinks about Flashblade all day inside of Pure and is very important in all things Flashblade. So it was just this moment where she's like, yes, please talk about it. So, so much fun. <laughs> Evergreen Flex, another big announcement. Before I actually talk about Flex, there was just this really fun moment in Accelerate where I was, I was sitting there and live blogging and tweeting as I do. Um, maybe you muted me that day because there were too many tweets about Accelerate. You know, sorry, not sorry. It's what I do. But there was this one moment where uh, Renee from Delta was on stage uh, with Prakash and he was going to talk about Evergreen. And at one point, he, in starting out, he actually said, hey, I'm actually going to go off script here. And if you've ever had where you interview someone live or you're on a stage, there's that moment of just like total fear. Your hind brain just goes like, oh, what's he going to say? What's going to happen? And he goes on to talk about how he originally thought Evergreen was, um, I think I can say BS here. It was not real. But then eventually they got to the point, uh, he, he liked the maintenance side and, and some other pieces, but it got to the point where they were upgrading arrays with planes in the air as because Delta has lots of planes that fly all the time, right kind of thing. Um, and he actually saw that it was real. And then he continued back on script, but it was just this perfect moment of kind of very real in the moment on a pretty big stage live. You can go find this in the keynote, fun moment. But Evergreen Flex is not something where we are changing what's in Evergreen, we're, we're adding to it. So if you've had the simplest way that I know to describe it is if you like better than average CapEx, which is what Evergreen has always been, you know, subscription to innovation, you get software features included, there's flattened for maintenance, there's all the stuff that has basically brought Pure to where it is. Then we did Pure as a service, now renamed, right? We're all working on the renames there, but basically... And that's evergreen one and looking deeply in your eyes make sure i'm saying that right that's that's where you know it's consumption based um, as a service um, um, on demand if you want something fully opex but if you want something that's in between those two that's what evergreen flex is so when i'm talking with customers I'm, I'm often not saying like let me tell you about our portfolio of evergreen options i'm more starting with like okay if we're in a financials conversation you want something that's more focused on capex more focused on opex if you want something in between we got that too and then let's go into the details of what the programs are as it's relevant for the audience. If it's a CFO, we might go there a little faster. For a lot of folks in IT, yeah, we're going to start with all the capabilities and features and outcomes and all that good stuff before we get to the models. I think though, JD, you were saying, I mean, this is not a, this isn't a replacement though, which is really cool to think about. Yeah. And, and I, 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 so 
look, we really changed the industry when we brought Evergreen to the market. And for a long time, we, we've heard all the FUD, right? Oh, it's just another fight. It's a lease, right? It's another financial model. But when, <laughs> when we really get the opportunity to go talk to folks about all of the different elements of what's involved and start to tell them about that subscription to innovation, you, you really see how differentiated it is. And it's differentiated because not only because of the offerings, but because we've actually given customers multiple ways to consume it over time. The, there's 100% CapEx, there's 100% OpEx, and now we have something that's kind of the best of both worlds. Again, not getting rid of those things. If you're using those today and you love them, that's great. Continue to consume that way. Um, but you know, there's a couple stories we can tell that kind of highlight the value of the new offering with Evergreen Flex. Think about, you really like that consumption model where you're consuming an SLA or you're we, we're delivering an SLA instead of delivering a, a quote unquote product but maybe you really want to be prescriptive about exactly what hardware you use to go meet that SLA, right? Flex might be a great option for you. It gives you some of that flexibility. And there's, there's so many more stories about how we've taken kind of the best, best parts of both of these and brought them together. But that's one that really kind of highlights in some of the conversations uh, that I've had. And I think for our, uh, our peers who have uh, loved the term platform as a service, uh, we, we, we no longer have to have awkward conversations, right, J.D.? That's right. <laughs> Paz. <laughs> you guys have Paz? So does everybody else. Yeah. And I see Rob smiling there. So, you know, hey. Yeah, I'm just going to stay quiet on this one since I have a history in, in things that are P-A-A. Uh, and, and some of the other as's. All good. Last yeah. but not least is um, this is more just a real time story, as always, as I should do um, with, with stories going to going to anonymize this, but was was meeting with some customers over the last several weeks, months, et cetera, you know, recently ish. And, and there were two things that stood out. This, this is actually a very large enterprise customer. One thing I loved was that the the actually the enterprise director there has been actually looking at storage alternatives for, for quite a while. And the final decision maker actually still continued to be, or a very large part of the decision making team, continued to be the, the guy who was taking the call, guy or girl, lady, we're anonymizing this, okay? They would take the calls at 2 a.m. in the morning when things were wrong. Because there can be challenges with any system. You can have 2 a.m. calls on any system. They were the one that finally, after years of looking at other alternatives, saw Pure as differentiated enough, all the way down to the, I'm the one choosing it, running it, being hands-on enough. So cool to hear. And then what was really fascinating is that the legacy storage vendor, might have been taking this customer a little bit for granted from a pricing standpoint um, and from a discount standpoint. I started on the customer side for seven years and you're always trying to kind of figure that out a little bit, you know, it's like, and sometimes that's why there's stuff with Gartner about having dual vendor strategies and all this to keep people honest. It's one of the ways you do it or you bring whatever coffee cup to, to whatever meeting, you know, to kind of show I've got this coffee cup too and I've got options, you know. So it was fascinating to see in real time that some of that's happening out there. And so this customer is getting a huge amount of, of benefits from all the pure stuff. So like state listeners are going to talk about later, but they're actually getting outsized benefits from a financial standpoint than they'd actually expected, which is really cool to hear. Andrew, I think uh, one of our attendees at, at the Accelerate Roadshow heard your story because they wore one of our competitors' uh, shirts to uh, to sit in the audience. <laughs> Just poking a little fun. We're, we're all here having fun though, right? Yeah. Yep. Now, I, I love that story, though, because it really goes back to we just talked about uh, Evergreen, right? And it goes back to one of the tenants of Evergreen, which is this flat and fair maintenance. We're going to be really upfront with you about the pricing structure and how uh, how that's going to look you know, out into the future. We talk about these being investments that you make you know, virtually forever. You know, We're going to hear about that in our new tagline. And it's really important that, that transparency is really critical to making that work. 
onward, I think, to number two, which is where we continue to look through the 15 decisions. We're going back to the pure historical vault here. We've, if you've been with us for a little while, we've gone through the first four, which are around built-in simplicity, efficient architecture at scale, using consumer flash in various ways and generations throughout the years, and data reduction. Number five is around stateless controllers. Before we get into that, I, I want to go back to number three, just really briefly, because an amazing podcast just came out on the Pure Report, uh, Justin Emerson and some of our engineers actually talking about with really, really intricate detail, the, the challenges and the engineering that went into Consumer Flash. So quick call back to number three, go check that episode out. One of the best episodes I've ever listened to. Absolutely love it and want to plug that. Yeah, for sure. And we're going to feature most of those, right? Over time, I've done guest content on this forum. You you all are part of that, right? <laughs> Obviously, but it's fun, right? I can't do everything myself, but Justin approached me and said, hey, this Better Science series, I want to roll these out and I'm going to host them. Can I use your built-in audience? And I went, of course, of course, but fascinating stuff that the accompanying blog and actually, if you go to the Accelerate on-demand replay page, the session that was delivered uh, on site in LA is there as well. So there's multiple ways for those of you that like to consume in different fashions, but JD, thanks for plugging that. It's fascinating stuff. It's history that brings us into the present. And now you all are going to riff on it a little bit more as well. Love it. Statelessness. So I actually started more personally on the networking side before I got into the VMware and the storage side. So you think about from a network standpoint, switches are always stateless. They'd better be, right? you know, kind of thing. If you if you lose connect, if, if a switch goes down, you lose connectivity. You don't actually lose data unless the link's right right in mid transmission, kind of thing. The definition of it. So we could even go back here. There's even some historical stuff here for me, even as well after networking than being at a partner where we dove really heavily into UCS. And this isn't just a Cisco ad here, but you know, in some ways, the server side of, of with statelessness, that was Cisco, what they were doing with service profiles. We're going to come back and talk about flash stack more in a little bit too, but even taking statelessness concepts and applying them outside of the network over into servers. And then when Pure started, there was the idea of taking statelessness and applying it. Of course, the data has to, has to have state. It has to live somewhere, but from a controller standpoint, so stateless controllers, what happens, what things benefits you can get, what problems can you avoid by making the controllers truly stateless. So when we're talking about this here, that's talking about that anything relating to the controller identity, to the configuration, if you will, is stored outside the cell shelf. Uh, the NVRAM, you know, we're actually protecting data um, if in case of, you know, power loss kind of thing, that that's outside of the controller. It's not in a way that's tightly tied into the controller. I would even kind of riff a little bit about uh, NVRAM, maybe later in this one, maybe another one. Everything from networking to configuration, to WWPNs, to MAC addresses, to all the unique identifiers, all the encryption keys, they are not stored or tightly coupled to the controller. What else am I leaving out there from a kind of a definitional standpoint, J.D.? Well, I think thematically that's the key, right? It's what do we need to do so that this piece of hardware that is failable by definition, right? Mm -hmm. Hardware always has the opportunity to fail. We can build it as resiliently as possible, but it's really the system that has the resiliency. Each individual component needs to be able to be removed. And so um, this is something that's classically been really hard. You know, I've we've always had some level of this in the industry through, okay, maybe I can virtually 
virtualize my uh, my my names. I can virtualize my namespaces and the uh, depending on the protocol, the the endpoints that I'm connecting to. Virtual but, storage controllers that might move yeah, around. Exactly, but still, you know, what what do I have to do to make sure even some of the basic things like the serial numbers reporting back to our SaaS platform the right way? And so, um, it's it's really this holistic approach that we we could never have retrofit right we couldn't have taken a stateful architecture come back a few years later and said you know what would be really cool now that we've got this out in the field is if we made this stateless would have been virtually impossible it's something that absolutely had to and was a core design feature it's what we're talking about here from the very beginning of uh of, of designing these systems and so um you, you hit on the nvram one that's one of my favorites because to make NVRAM stateless, there is, there's a couple of different ways you could do that. And usually what I see is that's a component that's built directly into the controller. So what do I do? I copy it, right? I, I share some bit of NVRAM from one controller to the other, and I'm constantly copying data back and forth. Um, and and that, that can work, but it can also be incredibly challenging from a resiliency and a performance perspective. And so I love the story about how really early on we said, okay, is there a way that we can have a dual ported uh, NVRAM module. So it's usually a way that both controllers can talk to this device at the same time. We had dual ported SSDs at the time, mm -hmm. but NVRAM not dual ported. And so we actually, this, this goes to our innovation. We actually built a module that essentially tricked NVRAM into looking like uh, a dual ported SSD so that it could exist outside the controller so that we could have that statefulness. And, and again, that's just one example of all of the things that you got to think about to build an architecture like this. But once you have it, um, it, it unlocks so much of the power in Evergreen, right? There's a foundation here. And then there's even stuff we've kept doing to play this out over time. Like you mentioned NVRAM. We took that original NVRAM architecture outside of the controller with all the pieces you mentioned, and then we split it up into the DFMDs, into the distributed NVRAM modules that are in, you see in Flashray XL and actually actually in Flashblade, Flashblade S as well, and even in some of the previous Flashblade too. So some of that same application of how do you kind of take that same architecture and change the implementation of it, if you will. Even later things more recently with NPIV, mm -hmm. N, N port ID, ID virtualization. I'm screwing up the acronym there, but oh well, for folks who know, you know, and if not you, then you can be like, you can feel better that you can say it off the top of your head versus me. But for a while, when I saw this on the VMware side, it felt like this was kind of a, a problem looking for a solution. Like, what did it really get me? But on the pure side, we use this to, as to fully virtualize the WWPNs, not just when you change the controllers out, but even if you have a controller failure, a planned failover failure, or you know, you're changing them out so that you don't, even during the failover scenario between dual controllers, you don't actually have to wait for SCSI timeouts on the MPIO paths. So that's even like this next generation kind of application of statelessness in a different way that now goes to resiliency and application impact. Let's let's take this whole story and imagine what it would look like if we take it up stack one level, right? So we're talking about infrastructure now, the actual components that deliver storage. But you know, there, there's a there's a product that we released released recently <laughs> that really is looking to abstract away the hardware at a more holistic level. And that's Pure Fusion. We've talked about this previously on uh, on on a previous episode, but just imagine how many of those stateless characteristics empower 
what we're trying to do with things like Fusion, giving us the ability to seamlessly move workloads around based on a change in SLA, based on uh, a policy that gets pushed out. So um, it's not necessarily, I think, required, but think about how that really unlocked the potential of things like pure fusion and, and, and future things that may come, you know, uh, b- after it. I, I love that you, you mentioned that data because the, um, I've had people who have compared pure fusion to some, another product that I've worked with at a previous vendor. I'm not going to say the name cause it was there and then disappeared. It might've related to a certain kind of, um, of, um, of reptile, but the, they've actually asked, you know, so how could, how is this going to be different? Why isn't this going to fail like that? And one of the pieces is actually the simplification of the pure portfolio the statelessness, everything being API first, like there's underlying components here that make that larger data center wide statelessness vision actually possible from a practical, pragmatic, well, it actually works standpoint, or will there be too many caveats or checkboxes that that won't quite fit, fit us. The other application, larger stack, is also around now going all the way, going back to, I mentioned this earlier, is our relationship with Cisco and with UCS. We have lots of lots of different servers and types that are plugged into pure gear. That's cool. But there's this interesting shared statelessness between UCS as a product, Cisco UCS, that abstracts everything about the server, as well as the pure system. So we actually sometimes when I'm talking about Flash Stack, uh, which was interestingly trademarked like 2015, 2016, we had customers all the way back in 2012 that were putting pure and Cisco products together. What a surprise. And they've actually gone through multiple iterations of pure systems Cisco UCS FIs and different servers and server profiles. And all of that done non-disruptively without having to re-architect. So the tagline is sometimes architect once, innovate continuously, but you don't have to re-architect or rip and replace lots of stuff to get the benefits of modernizing. I think of it sometimes as like that I don't have to pay my technology tax to get the new stuff. And so we've seen that sometimes, whether you call it converged infrastructure or reference architecture plus, yeah, going up the stack from storage network and server server platforms as well. Giving you some of those benefits forever. I think that's a, that's a little I'm bit of a green tagline laying the stage here for something, buddy. <laughs> Last thought here. And I think then we'll riff, move on is um, what's even fun sometimes was, is when you and I do the full 15 decisions uh, often to be real, this is either for internal training or partner training. Sometimes we'll pull out details of this in individual meetings is there's actually some older versions of the slides, right? Which we're, we're always good about using because some of those things change, but we can actually show like, you know, evergreen, and some of the statelessness pieces going back in like 2016, he was talking about this and making some of these promises, some of those promises that had already been true once. There's versions of some of these slides from 2018 and 2020. Maybe at that point, customers have gone through two or three non-disruptive storage controller refreshes and upgrades. And all of it goes to uh, the great statistic around that 97% of pure arrays uh, that are six or more years old are still in production. It's just, it almost blows my mind a little bit because it's not in the style of like, I used to have some stuff in the back of my data center that if it took a short, fast fall off the loading dock, I wouldn't have cried about it, you know, kind of thing. It's actually still in production because the statelessness of the components has enabled potentially every single piece, like you mentioned, JD, with the same serial number, even for like asset tracking reasons. It's the same box, but with all the components and pieces replaced over time. Last thoughts here. I think we've all got um, maybe a little of a horror story about that piece of infrastructure in our environment that, you know, had to kind of live on forever. And so now it's virtualized and sitting out there, maybe some ancient version of Windows that just couldn't quite make, <laughs> couldn't quite make the cut. And, and we're still having to support it. And, and it's just it's amazing to think 
97% over six years old, but without any of that baggage. These are, these are systems that have continually been able to get the improvements of not only software enhancements, but hardware enhancements and, and are equivalent to a brand new system just installed today. And that's, I mean, I think that's unheard of. The best day isn't the first day. The best day could be today. Or one last free story. You're talking about old systems in the back, sitting in the back of the data center. For me, actually, what it reminds me of is uh, the partner side for why I used to build a lot of configurations. And there was a configuration tool from a certain vendor, even not who it is, it's not really a pot shot, that it ran best in IE6 with old Java. So I literally kept around a Windows 98 VM for years <laughs> just to run that one tool because it was the best way to do it. Let's just be real. I don't want to waste time with other stuff. So I'd fire up that VM, build my configs and be done. You don't want to have to do that in your data center. You have, did you have IT folks harassing you for why you had the, the old stuff running in a VM? And then it was, it, it was a small enough partner that you kind of just, it was all, um, it was all bring your own device. And as okay. you were productive and did stuff and got it to work, no one, no one asked you. So okay. no compliance issues. No, you know, this is old. All right. See, all, all the automated security tools we have today, that would just get shut off. It would just oh, disappear totally. one day and you wouldn't even know about it. Yeah. It'd just be gone. <laughs> This was still in the early, early 2010s. So, you know, Windows 98 had some solid life to it. It didn't need a lot of RAM to run in a VM. Okay. I'm, I'm just telling old, old, I'm just telling, telling old guy stories now, it feels like. So, hey, number three, we are into uncomplicate data storage forever. So if you were listening at Accelerate, and yes, I feel like I need to do forever. It like go all the way down into my, into my lower base mode here, but I, I can't forever. quite do it. So. Yeah. In a world well, where storage is complicated, <laughs> one company. <laughs> so if you listen to Accelerate, hopefully you did. Go back and listen to the keynote. It's online. There's a reason it's online, so you can go back and listen. It, it keeps moving pretty well, and there's, you know, there's good jokes and lots of, lots of content there. But you heard this, some of this message. And this is, as from a pure standpoint, what we wanted to do is not necessarily just go through and give you the same message. Okay, you can go hear that there. But some of what we're hearing and how we're using and how we think about it from a field perspective, when I'm talking, standing up in front for customers and I want to look credible and actually have good stories used because this is stuff that relates there. So framing some initial framing here, what I like about the uncomplicate data storage forever, and we'll go deeper into what the pieces are in case you didn't hear about it. There's, I think you've got another whole podcast on this too, Rob. Go back and listen to that and then go come listen to the rest of this section. You know, But what I like about this is it embraces who we've been historically as pure. It doesn't run away or, or hide that or just kind of leave it to the side. It focuses clearly on how we differentiate, and then it gives the framework to highlight where we're going in ways that align to the stuff that we've done in the past. So it's not just, hey, it's new flavor of the month. It's a new year or two. We need to have a new message. It actually resonates back with kind of that foundational alignment, but doesn't just say, oh, we're just stopping here. We've just done Flash and that's where we're going, you know, that kind of thing. I know you had some more thoughts there, JD. Yeah. So as we've, I love the new messaging, right? Uncomplicate data storage forever. But but what I like almost as much is the story of kind of how you get there. And you've started to hear some of this from Charlie Giancarlo, our CEO, uh, both in the Accelerate uh, um, keynote that he gave, as well as through some of the recent investor calls. He's really positioned Pure as incredibly different from our competitors in one really key way. And so many of our competitors are, are, are moving quickly towards commoditization of hardware because they think they're going to be able to tell a story about how, about how they're going to save money. Right. But what they're doing is they're sacrificing so much of the value that actually built the brand to begin with. And, and we think about storage completely different at Pure. We think about 
storage and, and data as high technology. And so that's why we're continuing to invest 20% of our revenue into R&D, where we see our competitors in, investing 5%. And so when you kind of start from that, you kind of start from that context and you think, okay, well, if that's what we believe to be true, what is our purpose then? And our purpose, very boldly, I might add, is to fix everything that's wrong with data storage. And that that kind of key cornerstone is really what builds us towards this message of uncomplicate everything forever. When we start thinking about, you know, why are we doing that? Why are we continuing to innovate? What are we trying to achieve? And, and the messaging really walks us through those different things to get us from fixing everything wrong with data storage to uncomplicate data storage forever. I love, and this is where the technologist side of our title uh, comes out more. I think we've, we all along the way sell our technical souls in, in little bits. You try not to sell it entirely, right? Kind of thing. But it's funny in a company that actually has enough investment to drive roadmaps. I've been on partner councils before. Where I've seen the roadmap just kind of slows down more and more and more. And it's not that there's not trade-offs and decisions and conscious trade-offs being made kind of thing, but there's enough investment at core with enough really sharp people that are attracted to a company that actually wants to innovate that way. So I, I love that idea of a high technology investment play and putting literally, I think this fits here, putting our money where our mouth is as it relates to that. Some of the overview of the messaging, then we'll kind of get into, into riffing a little bit. So there's some stuff that you'll see there around you know, data powering your business operations. What a surprise. We believe that. You know that. It's an infrastructure and cloud. It relates to critical business applications. Of course, analytics is about getting more value out of your data. When we look at it often from a why aren't people able to do that? Why is this hard stuff that's not easy? It can come down to complexity of the data landscape, whether it's complexity, rigidity, or even sometimes the, the word uninspiring. I've seen signs where folks want to go work with new interesting tech. Sometimes that turns into employee retention things. So uninspiring may sound a little aspirational, but that actually relates here too. There are a lot of people in this field. We do it because we enjoy it. We want to learn new stuff and see new stuff. And it, and it even looks to where our industry is evolving to things like, you know, containerization is, is becoming mm -hmm. a huge talking point. Um, you know, infrastructure is code. It's, it's, it's really, it's like you said, aspirational, but also aspirational to where we see the industry moving and making sure that not only we're a part of it, but we're giving you the tools so that your business continues to be part of that. Okay. On Andrew's comment, uh, inside baseball, and I can't name the customers, but <laughs> going through the content planning for Accelerate, we actually had a couple of customers who wanted to be really clear how the material was going to be publicly displayed and, and promoted and used because they actually were going to use it as a recruiting tool for their IT departments because it's, it, people want to come work with Pure. They want to work with cool, pure Fantastic. stuff. So, uh, you guys, I, I didn't actually mention that to, to either of you through that dev process, but that was a couple of conversations I was with, with our customer marketing and, and field teams was, okay, what do you, when, when we get this content from the customers, what are we going to do? Oh, why do you guys care so much? Oh, we're, we're, we're going to, we need to, we're going to recruit IT because pure is cool to work with. So Andrew, I'm glad you mentioned that point. That's super cool. Very cool. Thank you. That's a great story. Yeah. Um, have you had the, the flip side where it was like six, seven years ago, remember there was a customer I was with where they could not keep a backup admin on staff because of how challenging and, and crufty the backup software that they were using was. And they went through like six people in like a year and a half kind of thing. It was this kind of rueful thing when you go, it's like, oh, is, is John still here or Joe or Marissa or whatever? It's like, nope, nope. Next one is like, oh man, sorry. So, but there could be a positive flip side to that, which is like, you can embrace the new interesting stuff. 
limitations, often hindering business outcomes. Sometimes we can talk about digital transformation here. For some customers, that's like, if I say that word, I get things thrown at me. Others, they have real projects tied to it. Either way, it's true. It can be true. But that complexity can cause challenges with availability at actually opportunity cost of projects. How fast can I move? That relates into rigidity too about, you know, that you don't have agility and flexibility. And then, you know, if it's not interesting enough, you can't find the right folks. So we go into then kind of the three pillars, if you will, of fixing everything wrong with data storage. They are around flipping complexity over to an intuitive experience. We've talked about intuitive before, not simple, but intuitive. I think that was a, a cause call out back in the day, Rob, and we've echoed that one a couple of times. It's fun to play with. Rigid, well, that should flip over to evergreen by nature. And literally, we didn't plan this out, actually, that whole statelessness we talked about. You know, the best day isn't the first day. It gets better over time. There's things there from an environmental standpoint, from ecosystem integration. A platform is partly because you can have a very long life out of it, also because it integrates into a lot of other stuff. And then uninspiring, well, flip that around to architected for innovators, whether that's embracing things with container ready and container focus. Infrastructure is code. It can be more than a buzzword. There can be real stuff there. You can actually have, you know, Terraform providers doing neat things and even leaning forward into some of where data protection is going and ransomware protection. You know, that's a whole what was in the past, maybe a little bit of a not as interesting, exciting space has gotten way more interesting and exciting than any of us wanted it to be, given developments in the market recently. Thoughts on those themes before we kind of go into how we modernize a little bit. Whoever wants to jump in. I, I appreciate this. I appreciate this messaging as someone who goes out into the field and talks to customers because it's so easy. And, and even folks that have done this for a long time, like you and I, Andrew, that wasn't, you know, an age reference for any of us, but you know, we've got a lot of experience, you know, telling these stories. And even with that experience, sometimes it's easy to run back to that safety net of, let me tell you about the, the widget that I built and what it looks like and smells like. And, and we fall back into talking about that kind of core technology and how it plugs in. And this messaging really forces us to think about holistically across all of Pure, what are what are we doing? What are all of these products and solutions that we deliver? What are they actually here to help customers achieve? And it really puts that forefront of our mindset in the conversations we're having. And isn't that the most important thing that we can be doing? Yeah, and it shuffles, so, shuffles, It moves us over to more of an outcome conversation, mm-hmm. right? And we, you, somebody talked about commodity earlier in the pod here, and sometimes we hear instances about where there's a whole, you know, cost per terabyte, gigabyte, you know, cost per whatever. Okay, fine, but the, the these allow you and others to go in and, and actually really figure out. What, what our users, what our customers are trying to achieve and, and try to get to those outcomes. So they're really nice entry points uh, towards that that get rid of some of the noise that, that kind of comes in down at the bottom. I think then, and, and for those who are listening in, you know, a little bit of inside baseball, we have a little bit of preparation. We're all now looking at what I think might be JD's favorite slide ever, if I'm, if I'm allowed <laughs> yeah. to say that, because we, we talk about modernizing is. and how... At a core level, Pure started out with modernizing infrastructure. We're not running away from that. We're still investing in that and doing some really cool things with Flash. And that's actually still getting, there's a huge amount of market share that we're still going to take there, right? And you can see some of the products that, you know, from a mapping standpoint that fit in with all Flash and modernizing for applications, whether it's Flash Ray XL, Flash Ray C, Flash Blade, Cloud Block Store, et cetera. But not stopping there, 
moving into up the stack, if you will, also into modernizing applications. There's stuff that you know links to Pure One. Hey, that's a that's actually a teaser for our tip of the week, just coming in a little bit here, as well as all the evergreen business models. And then even modernizing applications that goes all the way into some of the stuff we're doing from a container standpoint. Uh, in the cloud, we have customers that are pure customers, literally that don't own any hardware. What a crazy thought, but it's actually it actually happens. This is your favorite slide, JD. So I think I'm just going to let you. Uh, I'm just going to let you kind of just uh, enjoy going through it for a little while. All these concepts. Oh, I, I think you did. I think you did a great job of kind of outlining it. The thing, the thing that I think is really cool is let's be honest. We're talking about new messaging today, um, but that new messaging draws back to a decade plus of success, right? The, the modernizing infrastructure built upon what we've done with Flash Array. Flashblade S now part of that, um, really making you know uncomplicated solutions that can list for that can that can live with our customers virtually forever. Um, but it's what do we do with that? How do we take that up stack and deliver value at, at higher levels? And and modernizing operations um, is really strong example of the success of Evergreen, um, as well as something I talked about just a few minutes ago, uh, Pure Fusion. Right, thinking about okay, we've got these really uncomplicated, easy to use solutions, how do we bring them into a broader context of improving your, your business uh, outcomes through operational? And then finally, just the, the apex of that is applications, because ultimately that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to build and support apps that are going to allow you to achieve your business goals. Um, and you know, Portworks Data Services, I think, is the the killer example of modernizing applications where we've gone all the way to, um, you know, giving you uh, the ability to deploy a database as a service and virtually instantly get to the business of supporting your application. Um, what, what better example than that? And so you're right, Andrew. I, I love this slide. I've had some customers have, have joined me and had entire conversations where we just set this slide as a backdrop. And um, I'm going to continue to use it. It's in the new messaging and i think it's a beautiful thing it's, it's fun to sign it's just like okay, let's put something up that has enough of a framework it's almost like a, a pre-built whiteboard if you will and mm -hmm. then we'll just talk and we'll tell stories and we'll follow the conversation and, and especially when there's enough stuff there you don't have to have this internal decision tree going like oh i hope you don't go there because then we're going to be outside of what we can help you with like there's enough stuff there we can just kind of naturally follow the conversation yeah. and then eventually we'll, it'll map back to things we can help you with there is a great a corollary to that you know it's just Sometimes if you're in like, hey, all that sounds interesting and cool. Well, I mean, Pure at this point, we are a $2.18 billion company, continued growth, 10,000 plus customers. I want to say it's like 54, 55% of the Fortune 500. There's all the eight-year leader in the Cartner Magic Quadrant. There's all these great stats that to me are not a, oh, we're so wonderful, but we just told you a lot of interesting things that are proof points on there. this is actually coming true for enough people out there that it might come true for you too when you, when you listen to some of this from us. I think I'm about to go to tip of the week and we've been, as always, we don't have any trouble going, but okay. I'm looking deeply in everyone's eyes. I think we're good. So number four tip of the week is around pure one workload planner, both in general, and that it's recently updated for flash or Do you mind kicking it off JD? 
Yeah. So, you know, I was thinking we, we actually just put this one down, you know, behind the scenes, we just put this tip of the week down a few moments before we started recording. And I was thinking to myself, what, oh man, what is something that's really impactful that maybe has an element of something new. And it came to me workload planner because look, I've had opportunities to talk about what we do with pure one with customers. And there's so much goodness there. And we're continuing to deliver um, new stuff all the time because it's out of the data path. We can be incredibly agile and bringing things like uh, visibility into uh, safe mode and, you know, your level of protection against things like ransomware. Um, But one of the tools that is really just pure eye candy to show off to somebody is the workload planner because you get to go in and say, look, um, you've got this infrastructure today. Um, here, here's what your fleet looks like in terms of how everybody is situated in terms of capacity and performance. And maybe you've got some outliers over here on capacity and some different arrays that are outliers over here on performance. Um, but, but here's how everything maps. And now you get to play a really fun game of what if, what if I moved this workload from array A over to array B? What would that look like, right? How would that allow me to better optimize the fleet in front of me? And so, you know, getting to kind of show a customer how we can use all of the wonderful intelligence that we've collected uh, in Pure One to go drive this kind of analysis um, is, is, you know, many people think, hey, when I do this myself, and I write down on pen and paper how to map these things out. That's a weeks long process. And sometimes I'm not super confident in the outcome and we do it almost instantaneously, right? And this is a, I always like to add on to this. It, this is a wonderful example of the AI ops capabilities that we're able to achieve yeah. within Pure One, right? And I, it was, geez, it was almost now a couple of years ago when I had one of the engineers on and we had a chat about the data that we're able to pull from customer arrays who trust us to phone home because they know we will do interesting and worthwhile things that benefit all of our customers. And this is one of those areas when he told me about it, I went, you got to be kidding me. There's no way you can seriously. And they analyzed workload patterns. They can figure out which type of database is running and, and, and give you those simulations as well as the workload planning. I just, I always love adding that on JD as a, as a, a, just a strong example of, you know, the, this is how pure uses analytics and AI data on our own gear. What a great example that, that other customers can go out and to, uh, to emulate as well. Yeah. You touched on something really cool. We we ask customers to trust us with this data. Um, We owe it to them to return that value back to them uh, multiple fold. And I think this is just one example of how we do that. Absolutely. There's a great video um, Ralph Ronzio has on, on your team, Rob, actually, where he walks through a lot of these in bite-sized ways, one of them being, you know, pro and workload planner. So even like a, let's, let's just be able to get down to the weeds for a second. I've got an X50 array and I want to see what happens if I move that to an X70. In previous lives, I'd have to pull, oh, I don't know, things like auto support and NAR data and all these other things and then do a bunch of modeling. Well, you can actually say like, I want to see what it looks like if I go from a 50 to a 70 or to a 90 or even, and I think this is why you were pulling this in, JD, is that we were... We just recently added Flash Array XL, which is the biggest box in the in the platform. So one thirty and one seventy. And what's what's interesting here is there's even a little bit of now. Let's say part of the goal of this uh, series is to go behind the scenes a little bit. So when you're working with folks on the pure or the partner side before a purchase, 
and they're trying to model things out. They have a tool called Sizer that actually where they can model out average data reduction. We pour a lot of data into that and a lot of performance stuff into it. Even sometimes a lot of performance testing that we run internally. Like with Flash Array XL, uh, the numbers that I heard where we ran, you know, 500 plus performance tests. And this is the stuff where you get all the differences with block size and read-write ratios and the reducibility of data and all that good stuff that if I tell you a certain number of IOPS, you should be like, and all those other things that go with that. Okay. All that gets put into Sizer so that we can help do initial sizing. The reason that Flash Ray XL, if you've been thinking like that was introduced a little while ago, the reason that it didn't come into Workload Planner that you can see as a customer in Pure One is because that's based off the aggregation and anonymization, of course, of real world from the field data customers running in production. And so we've had a very fast ramp, but there's always a lag as there should be when whenever we introduce a new product or new models in going into Workload Planner because of the kind of data that we base it off of. It's the kind of data that you want us to be basing it off of so that you can have a level of confidence of like, hey, I go in say an X50 to an X70, or if I look at these synthetic workloads or workload I don't have on my array, I'm gonna try that out. That's all you can do Workload Planner. Again, say I'm gonna duplicate a certain volume a bunch of times for dev test workloads and that kind of thing. So it's there's legitimate data underneath all of these, but the Workload Planner one, it comes out of, that's part of the value that you get out of Pier 1 or that aggregated and anonymized. And it just gets better and better the more data we're able to collect. I think with that, uh, we, we somehow never have it have problems filling the time. I don't know if that's ever going to change. But uh, four topics, you know, 40, 50 minutes, something like that. I think with that, Rob, I'll hand it back over to you to bring us home. JD, as always, it is a pleasure. I think we do pretty well with uh, our hand gestures and bouncing back and forth off each other. And I mean, we don't we don't do crosstalk too much, but, you know, maybe it's a little Absolutely. Bit. Absolutely, Andrew, and and congratulations and good luck on the uh, upcoming uh, Accelerate Road shows that I know you're going to be participating in. Uh, from my experience this past week, those are a ton of fun, and uh, I know you're going to have a, a blast doing that. Love it. Over to you, Rob. Yes, and my only disappointment is we don't get to do this frequently enough, right? We have a couple of standing meetings on the calendar, but everything's been so busy lately. So maybe if things get a little bit more normal or as you navigate through doing the roadshows, we can pop on here because the feedback I get is fantastic. People love mostly listening to both of you and less me, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I love, we also, we got to get them through those, those 15, those 15 design principles too, right? I mean, we got to, we got to get through all those. Well so. on our way. You know, I, I don't know what we'll do when we hit episode 15. We have to figure out what comes after that or create something new. But gents, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for carving out time to do this. We value uh, what you put together and coming on here and uh, providing just a little bit extra to the Pure Report. And hey, you listener out there, thanks for checking out this episode. We're always interested in your feedback. You can hit us up at purereport at purestorage.com is the email address where we would love to hear from you. And uh, we will keep these episodes coming. And with that, we will wrap for Pure Storage. J.D. Wallace and Andrew Miller, this is Rob Ludeman saying, don't look back. Something might be gaining on you.